Revelation chapter 3. Let's start there. Revelation chapter 3. Looking in verse 7. And to the angel or the pastor of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. They have a little strength. You may not think that you have the strength to become who God would have you to be and to do the work that God's caused you to do. But that little bit of strength that you have, that little bit of power that you have residing within you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, that power in Christ is able to accomplish everything God has called you to be and everything God has called you to do. He's promised that, for instance, in relationship to our witnessing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before Jesus ascended to go back and be with His Father, He said, but you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It is the very power of God. And you shall be witnesses to me. When you receive that power, why does He give us the power that we need? So that we can be witnesses unto Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the, the earth. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, one of the last things Jesus said, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority, authority and power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. With that understanding, what do we do? Go therefore. He has the authority to command us to go. He empowers us to be able to accomplish it. To go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lord, that's a big task. Don't worry about it. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Timothy was pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he was going through a tough time. And he was thinking that, you know, this job is bigger than I'm able to do. Uh, I'm not quite sure I'm equipped or able to do the work God has called me to do. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. In other words, I'm not asking you to do anything on your own. I'm asking you simply to be obedient to use the spiritual gift that God has given you. Use that spiritual power through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Stir up the gift that is within you uh, uh, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now remember that. That's important. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't have to live in fear and anxiety and worry and stress and all those kind of things. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear. When we are uh, challenged to do the work that God has given us to do, a lot of people are, are afraid to do it. 
They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid that they're, they're going to make a mistake. Uh, they're just afraid that they're not going to do it effectively. We're not asking you to do anything. God's not asking you to do anything in your own abilities or power or strength. You do everything in the life of a church. You do everything in, in your Christian walk in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit of God in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ as He's given us in, in His Word. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, there's that word, power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Be willing to, to pay whatever price is necessary, to suffer whatever you must suffer in order to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost according to the power of God. Keep in mind, it's not you that's going to save anybody. If anybody gets saved, it's by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His power by His grace that He grants. Uh, he says, so share in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. What holy calling? Number one, to salvation. Number two, to fulfill the great commission to go and be witnesses. So He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, it's not according just up to us, our abilities, what we think we can do, just based on what we know. But according to His own purpose of grace, which He has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Here's the promise of God that's going to blow your mind. Your ability to be who He wants you to be and to do the work that He's called you to do and that work primarily in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, in his heart and mind, he had already given you your salvation, and he's given you the power, the authority, and the knowledge that you were going to need even before he spoke the world into being. He created you toward that end. He brought the world into being and brought you into the world at the time he brought you into the world, for the purpose of being connected to Him through Christ and then taking the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's why you're still here. Now, if you are not doing that, you are not fulfilling the purpose by which and for which God has created you. That's why you're here. That's the Word of God. So, we are to witness. We are to share the gospel. That is a holy calling. The question is, Brother Tim, if I'm supposed to be a witness, okay, I hear you. I'd be willing to give it a try if I knew how. Most people do not share the gospel do not share the gospel for one of two primary reasons. Number one, fear. They're afraid of being rejected. They're, they say that they're afraid that someone's going to ask them something that they don't know how to answer. They're just afraid. 
They're afraid that they might say something wrong. They might lead someone wrong. And they don't want to do that. So number one is fear. Number two, I just don't know how. I don't know how. Now, I can't help you with the fear issue. That has to be the working of God. The primary way that you overcome whatever fear or anxiety you have about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are lost comes from this one thing. When you see people the way Jesus sees people, as people who are lost, and people who are headed to an eternity in a place called hell, that if someone doesn't share the gospel with them, they could very well end up in hell. Because no one is saved apart from hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. No person is saved apart from hearing the gospel. So if we don't go, who is? Now I shared the statistic with you at the Gideon dinner we had not too long ago for the pastors in the area. Uh, the speaker that was there also uh, made this point. Here's the, here's the reality of where we are. 95%, now this is not just now, this has been for the last 50 years. For the last 50 years, of all the surveys that are taken of active church members, people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, 95% of all people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord will never share the gospel one time 95% of them will never share the gospel of Jesus Christ one time with anyone who's lost. 95%. Now, I've got an issue and a problem with that because if the Word of God clearly says the primary reason that God saved us is not to take us to heaven, the primary reason He saved us is so that He can entrust the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hands so that we will go and share the gospel if that's what our salvation is all about and why He saves us, how can 95% of people that say they're saved never share the gospel? That is an impossibility. It is an impossibility. That tells me the vast number of people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord are as lost as they can be. Just as lost as they can be. You know what breaks my heart every time I stand up and, and, and to preach? to know that the majority of the people sitting in this church are going to end up in hell. That's the reality. The greatest percentage of the people that sit here week after week are going to end up in hell. Say, Brother Tim, how can you do that? How are you judging? I'm not judging. I'm just saying the Word of God says every single person that He saves will share the gospel. He saved them to share the gospel. How can 95% of us say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I don't care who else goes. He says the whole reason He gave us, the, well, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, the primary purpose for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone who's saved is so you can be a witness to empower you to witness. Not so you can be happy to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, so, if you're going to overcome fear, you have to see 
the lost world out there, and they're all over. They're all over. Ah, there, man, I can't think of the guy's name. There was a uh, uh, lieutenant general that was in the Marines in World War II. I want to say Pearson, but that's not it. But uh, this general, his troops were surrounded. He had a small battalion or whatever of men. They were outnumbered 10 to 1. They knew there was a good probability every man in that battalion was going to die over the next few hours. So this lieutenant general gets up in front of him and says, Man, the enemy is on our right. The enemy is on our left. They're behind us and they're in front of us. You can't miss them. Shoot everywhere in every direction. He lost a handful of men. They won that battle. Everyone in that group was given some type of decoration. Why? It's all in how you see things. The lost people, they're on our right, they're on our left, they're behind us, they're in front of us. Anywhere you go, if you go to a grocery store, if you go to Walmart, if you go to school, if you go on your job, look around you, there's lost people everywhere. The good news is this, there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone believes. There's power in the gospel. Saving someone is not your work. Only Christ can save the lost. Your work is to just simply go and plant the seeds. Just share the gospel. Just share the gospel. How do you actually do that? Pastor Tim, can you break it down as simply as you can? This is how you share the gospel. I'm glad you came tonight. Yes, I can, and we're going to do that. The gentleman will come and help pass out our little guidelines here. Okay? What that you're going to receive is something I've written. Okay? I have taken the best resources that I know from other witnessing training guides, and I've kind of pulled from the best of them. I've thrown in a mix of my own stuff of how God has helped me to uh, understand how to share the gospel and how he has uh, uh, used uh, uh, my life to help bring people to, to Christ. And I put that in this one packet. Now, here's what we're going to do tonight, so I want you to know and understand what I'm doing. When I designed this, this was a 12-week training course. I'm giving you half of it tonight, and we're going to cover it all in the next 45 minutes. Okay? Okay? And normally it would take me 12 weeks to, to cover what we're going to cover tonight. I'm going to hit some key spots. I'm going to hit some key spots that I think you need to know. And then I'm just making this available to you to take the whole thing and read, study. It's very simple. It's very easy to follow, I promise you. At some point down the road, I'll offer a class 
just based on teaching this. But you're going to have everything already. Now, one thing I need to explain to you about the way I write. It drives Robin nuts. Okay? Uh, she says, people are going to think you're the most uneducated man that they have ever encountered. If, if you've got husbands and wives that, that maybe can share, uh, we only ran 75. Apparently, we've got more than that tonight. Um, uh, if, if you could, husband, wife, and sheriff to somebody that doesn't have a copy, one for every family or whatever, at least, thank you. All right? Now, the way I write is this. I write for how I preach. In other words, this is a teaching guide I give. And so I write it for visual, not for grammar, and not for sentence structure. So you're, you're going to see... I write stuff, and the way I type them up is, like, if I have something like this, some notes up here, where I can just look down at them, and in a glance, with the way that I put the sentence together, it makes it real quick and easy for me to see, and I, I know what I've said, so I can put it out there. So you're going to see the grammar's not so bad, but the sentence structure is horrendous, okay? Because the sentence structure is written a lot of times in phrases. I'll take a phrase that I want to make sure I say a certain way, and so I'll put it as a separate line, but it's still part of one sentence, okay? So if you can work through that, you'll be okay. But I want you to know, yes, I know I do that. Uh, and it's intentional the way I do it. It's, it's not that I just don't understand how it's supposed to be done, all right? It's just if I look down at a whole paragraph written there, and you got sentences that stop here and sit in, within that paragraph, visually, I can't pick it up real quickly. But if I write it in phrases and things and structure it that way, I can just glance down and know what's there. Okay, so that's why. All right, so uh, number one, witnessing training preparation number one, page one. Now you notice I think there's like 48 pages. That would be less than a minute a page. That ain't going to happen. All right, all right. Witnessing training number one. This is, if you follow that lesson number one, that just teaches you being a disciple carries with it the responsibility of making disciples. How do you know if you've made a disciple? If the disciples you make are able to make disciples, then you've discipled. If the person you've discipled is not able to make a disciple, you haven't discipled. Disciple is how you train someone to be able to train someone to be a disciple. Now, how they can be a disciple, and then how... Uh, they, they, out of being a disciple, how they can train someone to be a disciple. All right? Number one, if you'll notice, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must make other disciples. You must. In Matthew 4.19, when Jesus called his disciples, he says, follow me, and I'll help you to be good Bible study teachers. Is that what he said? No. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Yeah, remember the Great Commission. Uh, you can read the Now, everything that I have is based on Scripture. Now, if I take the time to walk through all the Scriptures to back up what I'm saying, we'll be here till 3 in the morning. Okay? Seriously. I'm not going to be able to do that, so you will have to excuse me. I'm going to teach the key points. The Scripture is here. All the Scripture is here. That's the thing that's most important. Okay? It's not... What I'm saying is what the Word is saying. I'm just showing you how to put the Word into practice. So I'm leaving it up to you to go look those up. Um, 
Then number two, we must witness from a place of unity within the body of Christ. Jesus laid this out in John 17. Now this is one thing I have never heard in any witnessing training class I've ever taken. And so that you know, I, as far as I know, I've taken every witnessing training course that is offered anywhere. From my churches, from the Southern Baptist Convention, from the seminary I went to, I've taken every witness training course that I know that's on the market. There's one thing that's not in any of them that's the most important thing. In John 17, when Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer, the one thing he asked for his church is this, Father, may they be one, even as I and you are one. For what purpose? So that when they see them, when they see my church and they hear them, they will know what they're saying is true and that you are the one who has sent me and that I'm your son, I'm the Christ, the Savior of the world. Apart from a church being unified, one, one heart, one mind, one spirit, will never have power in our witness. What gives us reliability and validity to a lost world? How do they know what we're telling them is true? When they see us actually living out the Word, when we are loving as He has loved us, they will know that there is truth to what we speak because they know there's no way this group of people with so many different backgrounds who come from so many different places, different economic levels, different education levels, differences in politics, all those kind of things, there's no way they could be as unified as they are apart from there really being a God who lives within them that makes them one. You show me any other group of people, any other organization on the face of the earth that is one the way the church is to be one. How about the Republican Party? They one? Democrats? Mm -hmm. No? How about Apple and Mac and PC people? Are they one? No, 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 no. How about schools? Everybody at schools get along, one heart, one mind. Yay, yay, rah, rah, let's go. Anybody? I've never seen that. The only place you can actually, in reality, have a group of people who are made one is when each of them have been saved and have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who bears their fruit and His fruit in their lives. That's the only way it happens. So, why aren't we more effective in our witness? Why aren't more people getting saved? Let's go back to the core thing. Number one, because too many of our churches are not one mind, one heart, one spirit. Okay, so it has to come out of that. That's what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. Read the passage there in John 17. All right. Um, uh, number, where am I? Three. We must witness from a heart of brokenness and compassion. Listen, we're not superior to those people out there. We were them. We were just as lost as they are. Their sin might be different from our sin, but we're all sinners. And we all needed a Savior. You go out there not with an attitude of arrogance and superiority or whatever. You go out in brokenness. You go sowing in tears. And He's promised that if you'll go and sow the seed in tears, you will reap with joy. 
reju coming, rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. So, um, uh, so we have, the, have to have the right attitude of, of brokenness and compassion on other people. We got to see things for what's. I don't give a rip how somebody votes. I really don't. We've had Democrats as presidents and we've had Republicans as presidents. It's always been a mess. I mean, seriously, hasn't it been? If we had a Democratic Congress or a Republican Congress, has everything gone roses? No. What matters is, do people know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Where are they going to spend eternity? We must witness from a heart filled with prayer. Ah, that prayer thing there. With prayer for, for God to send us and others. How do you pray for lost people? How, how do we pray for lost people? We say, we're going to pray for the lost. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to say, Lord, save those who are lost. Well, you might as well quit praying. You're just blowing hot air. No. Did you know that's not how Jesus told us to pray for lost people? You got somebody that you know that's lost? You got a child that's lost? Grandchild, a friend, a spouse? Lord, I just pray you save them. Jesus said we got to pray along these lines. Number one, he told the parable of the soils. The only one who can prepare the soil of the heart is the Holy Spirit of God. So number one, you say, Lord, would you prepare their hearts? Do whatever is necessary in, in, in them, in me. I don't, Father, whatever it takes to bring them to a place where they'll be receptive to the message of the gospel. Father, you prepare their hearts. Number two, he says, this is how you pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. He'll send forth laborers into the field. You say, Brother Tim, how do you do that? Lord, you know the person that needs to share the gospel with this person. You know them. And Father, my prayer is, you will place a burden on that person's heart for this person. Place a burden on their heart and send forth someone that you have prepared and equipped to be able to share the gospel with this person. And then you always close that prayer by saying, and Father, if that person is me, here I am. Send me. I'll go. But Father, if they'll be more receptive to someone else that you've prepared, bring those two people together. Bring those people together. That's how you pray for lost people. That's what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. That's what he said. All right? Number six. We must witness asking the Father to draw people to himself. Okay? If they're going to be saved, it's going to be because he opened the door. He's opened their heart. Yes. Oh, number five. I was going to skip that one. Uh, all right. We must witness with a heart filled with prayer for God to prepare the heart's laws. That's kind of what I just said. Okay. Uh, what I just prepare their heart. Now you notice it's got to be prayer. One of the things I'm excited about because I've seen it happen every time I've done this. You wait till we start having that prayer list back there of people we know that's lost. And we have people consistently targeting them in prayer, praying along the lines I just saw. And when we start seeing those people get saved, there's going to be a shout and hallelujah good time here. All right? That's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. It fulfills the Word of God. Let's skip on over to uh, verse 9. 
you need to understand this. When we witness, this is page 8, when we witness, we do not rely upon the cleverness of our speech, but on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're wanting me to teach you certain techniques that's going to, if you do this and say it this way, people, you know, people are going to get saved, we're wasting our time. The gospel is the gospel. You just share the gospel. There's power in the gospel. Power in Christ. He takes the gospel and saves. Number 10. When we witness, we must never change our message. The message of the gospel has always been the same. Never changes. But we must be willing to adapt our methods in order to effectively uh, be used in reaching those we're trying to reach. For instance, the way I would witness to uh, a teenager I might say things a little differently, use different words, use different illustrations and imagery than if I'm talking to somebody who's 75. The message is going to be the same. How I present it might be a little bit different. We had a way of witnessing whenever I was a teenager. Okay? We had a way of witnessing when I was a teenager. We were taught, you know, this is how you go witness. And we did that. That way of doing it doesn't work anymore. You know the way that we were taught to do it? One of, the ways, one of the ways we were taught to do it, and we did it a lot. We just started walking down the street, knocked on a door, let someone open. Hi, my name is so and so, and I'm from such and such church. We were just out here getting to know people. Let me ask you a question Do you know that you go to heaven if you were to die right now? Well, I had a guy, a friend of mine, he took a different approach. He said, Did you know you're going to hell? <laughs> That's what, yeah. You know, uh, that, that, that's not usually a very effective way of going about doing it. So, so the, the old style of knocking on doors and just making a cold call and trying to be a witness, in our day and time, you can get shot doing that. <laughs> right? you got the, you know, your, your methods of how you implement it might vary, but the message is always going to be the same. Now, uh, what you got to do, uh, make sure you pay attention to... Uh, uh, page 11. For instance, down at the bottom, uh, when you're talking, uh, if you're talking to somebody who's visited your Sunday school class or somebody who's visited our church, hello, I'm Tim, and, and uh, uh, this is Washington Baptist Church. Um, uh, we, we appreciate you coming to worship with us at our church recently. Is it okay if we visit with you for a few minutes? After introductions are made, you may connect with a prospect by asking questions to gain insight into that person. These questions should not be questions that can be answered by a simple yes or a no. You're trying to engage them in conversation. Okay? So you don't ask questions, just yes or no questions. These questions should open the door for a further conversation. For instance, where are you from originally? I ask that to people down here all the time because nobody's from here. <laughs> you know? So where are you, where are you from originally? How long have you lived here? What kind of work do you do? What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Now I got another one. Do you play pickleball? Right? How are things, then you ask this and then it gets a little bit deeper. How are things going in your life right now? You'd be surprised at the discussion you get into when you ask that question. How are things going in your life right now? If they're a student, what do you enjoy studying? 
What courses are you taking this semester? Are you involved in any kind of extracurricular activities? Okay. Uh, make sure you notice page 12. Page 13 is very, very important if you want to know how to have those conversations. And you have to learn how to listen to people. A lot of times listening is a whole lot more important than talking. You've got to learn how to listen. Most people do not know how to listen. I can't tell you. When I'm sitting in marriage counseling sessions, and I've got a husband and wife there, and we get the discussion started, it never ceases to amaze me. I'd say 95% of the time, one of the issues, they don't know how to listen to each other. They know how to talk at each other, but they don't know how to listen. Okay, there are certain things you can do to be an effective listener because through listening you gain understanding of the person, where they are. You gain understanding of what God's already been at work doing in their lives. God didn't begin working in their life the day you showed up to talk to them. God's already been working there. And you kind of can, in your, in your discussion with them, can find out what has God, where are they in, in their spiritual journey. Um, so make sure you read, I wish I had time to walk you through it, but uh, page 12 and 13. One of the things you got to be careful, if you notice page 13, when you speak, use words that are easily understandable to unchurched people. We all the time use what I call churchies. We'll use words like saved, redeemed, repentance convicted, sanctified, grace, and even the word sin. We'll use all these words, and we know what those words mean because we've been in church forever, but when you're talking to people that didn't grow up in church, haven't been in church, or maybe they just haven't been to church in many years, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So be careful about using church words. You're always asking yourself, if, if I'm talking to this person, if they have never been in a church before, would they understand what I'm saying? Okay? Break it down. Explain. Now, you don't want to come across to them that you think they're ignorant. Okay? You don't want to belittle their, their knowledge base. You treat them with respect and all those kind of ways. But you just keep in mind who it is you're talking with and, and how you need to talk with them. So you avoid... Those kind of words, or at least you break the words down to explain what they mean. Even if I use a word, okay, if I use a word because I just feel like I need to use the word, I say, and by that I mean this. Okay, so I'll use the word repentance. By repentance, I mean this, because this is what the Word of God says about repentance. Or if I, you know, the word, if I use the word sin, by sin, this is what I mean by the word sin. You know, this is how the, the Word of God, how it defines sin. All right, so... Um, uh, share with them, share with them, just do not talk at them. By the way, with the millennial generation, with the millennial generation, they don't care what you know. And they don't want you telling them what you know. If you just start with that standpoint, I'm going to tell you what I know, they'll turn you off in a heartbeat. They want you to come to understand what they think. 
If you're there to give them knowledge and information, they'll close the door on you very quickly. They want you to listen to what they think. And then you go through this process to say, I hear you. Now, what, what you're saying is you're saying this, and you repeat back to them what you just heard them say. That's an interesting point. You might have to take a couple minutes to just share with you, you know, what the Word of God has to say about that or why, why I hold to what I believe about that subject, you know, because of what the Word of God says. And you ask permission to share. If you just step in and assert the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, they will not listen. Right? They don't want you talking at them. They want to have a dialogue, a discussion. And that's important. If you don't understand that, you're not going to be effective at trying to reach them. Okay? All right. Um, never talk down to someone or talk in a condescending tone or manner of speech. Sometimes it's not even what you say, it's how you go about saying it. Check your own attitude. Make sure that you understand you're talking to someone for whom Jesus Christ died and He loves them. Whenever you're talking, there's other people. Always be conscious of everybody in the room. Make contact with every person. You might be primarily trying to focus on one, but you don't know who's listening. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to a home and, and in the process tried to witness to one person and that person didn't necessarily get saved, but someone else in the room will come talk to me later and say, Pastor Tim, while you were over at the house talking the other day, you know, I, I heard what you said, and I, mean, I have some questions. And it starts other discussion, and I've had people, other people in the room that ended up getting saved okay, as a result. So always pay attention to every person in the room. You just don't know. You think you're there for one person primarily. You don't know how God's been working in those other hearts. Okay, Remember, it's His working. All right. Now, how to turn conversations towards spiritual matters? You're, you chit-chat, and you're getting to know one another, but how do you turn a conversation to talking to spirit, about spiritual matters? You can use some of these statements or questions. Do you have a church that you regularly attend? Are, are, are you a part of a local church? Sometimes talking about church is a lot easier than talking about the gospel initially. Okay, It's like a stepping stone to get you there. All right. Let me ask you. What do you think it takes for a person to get into heaven? Now, I've been talking with a lot of people lately, and I've been asking them this question, what do you think it takes to get to heaven? What do you think it takes to get to heaven? You're going to find out where they are, spiritually, when you, they give you that answer to that question. Would you consider yourself, now this is the term in our day and time, would you consider yourself to be a spiritual person? Or do you ever think about spiritual things? There's a lot of spiritual people out there. And they, lock, they actually like talking about spiritual issues. But then you've got to take them from the spiritual to sharing about Jesus. Right? Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? A lot of people have some spiritual beliefs. Rightly or wrongly, they have them. Are you going to ask, to you, who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus really was? Or you can ask this question. Do you think there's a... Let me ask you. you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, do you think there really is a heaven or a hell? If so, 
how does someone know where they're going? Number seven. This is an oldie but a goodie. If you died tonight, if you were to die tonight, what would happen to you? Where would you go? Listen to their answer. Take them from wherever they are to where they need to be. If tomorrow you died and you stood before God, let's just assume, let's just assume there is a God, okay? You might not believe one, one right now, but let's just assume for the moment there is a God. If you, you died tomorrow, tonight, stood before God, and He asked you why He should let you into heaven, what would you say? Or, let me ask you a question. What do you think would keep a person out of heaven? What would keep a person from going to heaven? How do you know, how do you believe a person can know what's going to happen to them when they die? Another version of that question. Or, what do you think? Question. You know, I, I, I get people have a variety of answers to this question. What do you think it means to be a Christian? See what they say. Or, let me ask you, have you ever known someone that you really believe was a Christian? Have you ever known anybody that you really thought was a Christian? What about them made you believe they were a Christian? Do you know what the Bible has to say about how a person becomes a Christian? Or, Another version of the spiritual issue question. Would it be all right with you if we discussed spiritual things for a moment? You're having this discussion about sports or this, that, or the other thing, or your kids or whatever. Would it be okay with you if we talked about spiritual things for just a few minutes? If they say, yeah, no problem, go right ahead. God's opened the door. If they say, no, nah, I'm really not interested, God's closed that door. Respect that. Okay? Now, if you look at part three, Part three, all of those questions I just told you to ask, to get the discussion going, this is how you respond to whatever answer they give you. So based on whatever they say, positive or negative, based on, I give you both. If they give you a positive response or a, a, something that's close to what the Bible says, this is where you take them next. If they kind of shut you down, you know, don't want to really go there, this is how you respond. Okay? So all that, how to handle that. When you ask that transition question, taking the conversation from chit-chat to a meaningful gospel conversation, based on whatever you've asked, this is how to handle it from that point forward. Don't get any simpler than that. Okay, I just walk you step-by-step step through it. Alright? Um, then, uh, okay. Page 23. This is your assignment. I expect you to do this. If you're a Christian, well, I'll say even if you're not, I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you to write out your testimony. Now, you can make a copy of this. You can write it down on another sheet of paper, however you want to do it. I want you to write out your testimony. I want you to break down your testimony of where you are in your relationship with Christ and how you got there. Okay, if you're not a Christian, put that. But wherever you are in your Christian walk, I want you to be able to describe these three things. Number one, 
my life before Christ. This was my life before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Just sum up your life. For instance, my, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a strong, committed Christian home. We were always in church. Okay? That was my life before I knew Christ. We were always there. You know, I was, I was, I was young. I, I didn't really get into gross or bad sin or immorality or anything. I was a pretty good kid. Church all the time. That's my life before Christ. See, I just summed it up in about 30 seconds. So what was your life like before Christ? You might not have had that same experience as I had. Well, what was, what was your experience? How I came to know Christ. How did you actually come to know Christ? Who shared the gospel with you? Did you just pick up a Bible in a room and start reading it and God opened your heart to understand it? Or were you in a church service? Do you have a friend, a mom or dad, or somebody that came and shared it? How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And what did you do? What did you actually do about your salvation when you did whatever you did about your salvation? How were you born again? And I'm always looking for, do they understand sin? Do they understand that the reason they need to be saved because they're a sinner? They sinned against the Holy God. Have they repented of sin? Have they placed their faith in Christ that whenever He died, He died for them? He bore their sin, paid their price. Have they yielded to the control of Christ in their life? How did you come to know Christ? Then, part number three, my life since I came to know Christ. If the only thing that you can share in your testimony is how you got saved, you don't have much of a testimony. Has God not done anything in your life since then? It kind of verifies and backs up. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved because I did what the Bible said to be saved. And since I was saved, since I was born again in the Spirit of God, since I came to know Christ, this is how God's been working in my life. Now, you can tell by the amount of space I've given how much information needs to be there. In other words, you should be able to share your testimony in three to five minutes. No more. In three to five minutes' time, you should be able to tell people what your life was like before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and what Christ has been at work doing in your life since that time. We used to tell people this when we explained that, <laughs> and that is, if you're at somebody's door, you know, and you've introduced yourself and you start talking about gospel things, and they get ready to close the door, you can stick your foot in the door and keep them there for about three minutes before your foot goes dead. All right? So, <laughs> so that's the joke, all right? But no, uh, again, you want to be able to share the gospel quickly. I've shared the gospel on an elevator, Okay? I don't have but so many seconds to share the gospel. And I share the gospel through my testimony. Now, what I want you to know as well, you can weave the gospel into your testimony. But there came a time when I came to understand this was my life before Christ. This is what I, but I came to understand my biggest problem in life is I was a sinner. I had done wrong. I didn't live by God's standards. God says, do these things. I didn't do them. God says, don't do those things. Those are the very things I did. And that bothered me to know I had sinned against him after so much after he has loved me as much as he's loved me. And so when I came to understand my sin, that led me to, to be grieved, to say, I, I'm upset that I've sinned against God. That led me to a place of repentance. I don't want to keep living that way. I want to live a life that God is pleased with. And so I repented of my sin. Not only did I repent of my sin, I placed my whole faith and trust that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore my sin in his body, he paid the price I should have paid. 
He died in my place. He died for me so that I could be forgiven. And I asked His forgiveness. And then I, I trusted in Him so much that led me to surrender my whole life to Him. I yielded control to Him and said, Lord, from now on, my life is yours. Do you know I just shared the gospel in about 25 seconds? And I wove that into my testimony. And that's how I was saved. All right? So you can weave the gospel into your testimony. Don't just pick this. Write it down, okay? Please, 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 please. Because it will help you know for sure where you are. And it will help you and equip you to be able to share the gospel with other people. So write that down. Um, then, there's a wide variety of ways you can actually share the gospel. I've written down a few of them. Okay, I've written them down for you. Number five, part five, page 24. How to become a Christian. There's some key words we learn and the scriptures that go with them. Admit. Admit to God you're a sinner. Two, repent. Turn away from your sin. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ and the substitutionary sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Now, if you're talking to somebody who's not in the church, you've got to break that one down, but you've got the general idea of what, what, the, what you're going for. Commit. Surrender. Control of your life to Him. And confess. Confess that Jesus Christ is now Savior and Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart, God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. All right? That's a plan you can take someone through. And then there's assurance, because people always wonder, how can I know for sure I have been saved? Well, there's some passages there that deal with the issue of assurance. Presentation number two. This comes from share Jesus without fear. I think Brother Kent taught that here at one point in time. Um, it's, it's a really good, a very, very, very simple program on, on how to share the gospel. So that's the way of sharing the gospel from share Jesus without fear, uh, that, uh, that program in ministry. Number three is probably the one, if you grew up in the day and time in which I lived, you were probably presented, and that is the Roman road to salvation. Okay? You learn the Roman road to salvation. The Roman road goes through the book of Romans. That's why it's called the Roman road. And it uses only scriptures out of the book of Romans that takes you through every step of the way. How to get someone lost and under, help them understand their loss, why they need Jesus, um, uh, what Jesus has done about their salvation, what they have to do in response to what Jesus does. goes through the book of Romans. If you've never memorized the Roman road, you need to do that. Or in your Bible, okay, in your Bible, if you, especially if you have like a pocket New Testament you can take where you just have the book of Romans in it, here's what you do. You open up to the cover, inside cover, and you got there, turn to page so-and-so. You write that down at the bottom. You turn to page so-and-so, which is in the book of Romans. It starts with the very first passage. And you turn to that page, and you underline or highlight, circle, whatever, that scripture right there. Then at the bottom of that page, you write, turn to page so-and-so. Based on whatever your Bible is, you turn to the next passage of scripture. You highlight it, you underline it, or circle it, however you want to do. That's the next passage you go to. Then at the bottom of the page, it says, turn to page so-and-so. You turn to that page, it's right there. And it's right. Turn to page so-and-so. It takes you through the whole gospel. And all you've got to be able to do... The only thing you have to be able to do is turn the page and read the passage. That's pretty much it. Now, it helps if you can maybe explain a little bit, but if you can turn the page and read the passage, you can take somebody through the whole gospel. Okay, And usually you can do it in six or seven minutes. The whole Roman road and do it effectively. Six or seven minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't take long. All right. Then, 
I want to make sure everybody understands the whole message of the gospel. Now, we can break it down and make it simple. But I want to make sure everybody understands the full message of the gospel. So as best as I can understand it from the Word of God, I have written out the full gospel. Okay? If you want to know what the gospel is, you read the rest of the stuff. Okay? From page 33 to page 48 is the message of the gospel. You need to be thoroughly equipped with the knowledge of what the gospel is. Now, in your witnessing, you don't necessarily have to go as extensive as what I've gone there, but you need to know it. You need to be prepared to share that. Okay? Now, you say, Brother Tim, what about if they ask me about this? What about if they ask me about that? And they will. Do you remember when I first got here on Sunday nights, I did a series of messages that went for a few months about, hey preacher, can I ask you a question? All the questions I get asked in witnessing situations are the questions I covered. Whether you realize it or not, I was equipping you to know how to witness to people and how to answer their questions. Every question I've ever been asked or every objection somebody has given to me as to why they would not want to become a Christian was in that series. They should be online, on our YouTube channel. You can go back and look them up. There's ways of handling every single one of them biblically. Okay? And I won't say I've heard them all, but I've heard a bunch of them. Okay? Well, what about all those hypocrites down in the church? I know the church I went to, there was these people say they were Christians and they did that and the other stuff. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? I'm very thankful there are hypocrites in the church. Why? You're thankful they're in the church? No better place for a hypocrite to be in church. That's the only place they're going to hear the gospel. God might get them saved. You know? Uh I know this person, they do this. Yeah, and you're right. Did you know not everybody in the church is actually a Christian? Not everybody's down at any church is actually saved. Did you know that? That's the truth. In fact, Jesus taught a lot about that. He taught about the wheat and the tares and those kind of things. He said every place where God plants good seed, there's going to be people that are fake Christians that are not really saved that are there. So every, in every church, it's going to be that way. You expect that. So not everybody's Christian. Then number two, Everybody's at different stages of the spiritual growth and development. Some people have gotten saved, but they've remained spiritual babies for years. And maybe some of them just really haven't had someone come along beside them and help teach them the truths of the Word of God. And so they've only been able to grow to the level of what they've been taught. And so people act the way they act sometimes, which is not a good way, simply because they've never really grown in their walk with Christ. And I'm sorry it is that way, but it is that way. Don't deny that there's hypocrites in the church. Yeah, there are, for a lot of reasons. But then you take them to this. Then you take them to this. You know, that. I'm glad you made that observation, but here's what I want you to understand. One day you're going to stand before God, and you're going to have to give an account for your life. And when you stand before God, He's not going to ask you about anybody at your church. He's not going to ask you about what they did. He's not going to ask you about their lives. 
He's going to ask you, what have you done about my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? What have you done about the fact he gave his life for you on Calvary's cross? He's not going to ask you about anybody else, but he is going to ask you about you. So let me ask you, when he asks you that, what are you going to say? Whenever they ask you questions, I always let them, oh, there's, hey, I want you to know that's a good question. There is an answer to that question. Sometimes I'll give them a brief answer to that question. But you say, you know, while that's a good question, the reality is this. One day you're going to stand before God to give an account of your life and what you've done about what His Son did whenever He died on Calvary's cross for your sin. And He's not going to ask you about that question. He's only going to ask you, what you've, have you done about Jesus? So let me ask you, what have you done? And you bring it back to there. You bring it back to there. You don't get bogged down. If you get into an argument with somebody, you've already lost them. You are not there to argue. You're not there to debate. You're there to share. And if they want, if it becomes obvious, all they want to do is argument. Argue about something. Hey, I I know you got a lot of questions and stuff. And I want you to know, I would just strongly encourage you. You know, our church, we meet Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday these times. I would encourage you to come. You probably get an answer to a lot of questions. And I tell you what, if, if you're one of those, say, I've got our pastor, he loves talking with people about questions that they might have. And I would encourage you. You know, and if you want to, I'll make an appointment for us and we'll go to sit down with him together. And you can ask him whatever you want to ask him. Or I know someone else who's a good, strong Christian. And 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 let's go talk with them sometime. Maybe they can help us find an answer to the question. But just don't get involved in an argument. Don't get bogged down in the minutia stuff. Handle it. Bring it back to the main point you're there for. And that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Alright? So, that's 12 weeks of lessons in an hour. Okay? So, I've left out a bunch, but it's in your notes. You've got what you need. And if you really have a heart and a desire to reach people for Christ, you're going to spend some time with this. And what you're going to see there is all the Word of God. It doesn't matter, hill of beans, what Tim says. The only thing that matters is what does the Word of God say? Now, Tim will come along beside the Word and try to guide you in knowing how to understand it. That's my responsibility as a pastor, teacher, to do that, and I'm glad to do it. But everything that's going to be in those notes is saturated with the Word of God. Okay, And if you have questions about something you see there, come talk to me. Okay. The main thing is this. I share this with you not so that you can gain some knowledge. I share this with you because I want you to take what you learn and share the gospel with somebody who's lost. Okay? Take the message of the gospel. Take what you've learned. And actually sit down with somebody and have a discussion. Maybe you can practice having those discussions with your friends. Say, I'm studying about how to be a witness. Do you mind just kind of role-playing with me a little bit? And you play the person that you know is lost, and I'm trying to talk to you. And let, let me just kind of tell me what how am I doing? Is this coming across right? Is there anything about the way I present this that you think I need to brush up on? Do I need to change my attitude? Sit down with people. 
Okay? In your small groups. Get together. Talk about these things. Okay? Um, yeah, I won't go there. All right. Just, just, just enjoy talking about those things. And the more you do it, the more you're going to know and learn and God will hone those skills in you. And you'll be amazed at the number of people He places in your path because He knows He can trust you now to share the gospel. And He's going to open doors in a way you will not believe. Okay? Anything before we leave? All right. Thank you for being with us tonight. We have several guests with us tonight. Uh, thank you for coming and worshiping with us tonight. And I want you to know, because I don't know any of you, <laughs> uh, uh, if, if there's something I said tonight and you have questions about it, please come talk to me. I'll be glad to try to answer your questions. Uh, but more than anything else, I would encourage you. We're talking about how a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. If you haven't yet come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've heard a measure of the gospel message tonight. Place your faith and trust in Him. It, come to understand you sinned against God. We've done wrong. It should bother us to know we sinned against God. We need to repent of our sin. Turn away from our sin. Say, I don't want to keep living like that anymore. I want to be the person God's called me to be and wants me to be. Place your faith that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, He paid the price for every sin that you've ever committed or will commit. He took the punishment you deserve. He died in your place. He was buried. Three days later, to prove that the Father accepted the price that He paid on your behalf, the Father raised Him from the dead. He's alive right now. And you believe that so strongly, you're willing to say, God, from this day forward, my life is yours. I acknowledge you are the Lord of my life. You're in control from now on. Father, help me the rest of my life come to understand all that that means and how to put it into practice. And he will. All right? Anything else? I love you with all my heart. I can't wait to see how God's going to use this in your life. Stand with me, please. I did what I did tonight for, for a primary reason. That is, today in the message, the message is how we're supposed to be a witness. And a lot of times we as preachers, I know at least me as a preacher, Sometimes I'm really good about telling you this is what you need to be. This is what you need to do. I just don't explain to you how to go about doing it. Okay? So I, this is too important. This, this is too important. So I want to make sure that we all understood how we can go about being the witnesses God has called us to be. Okay? So Father, we thank you for our time with you, your word tonight.